This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. This is Better Late Than Never. This is a movie podcast where I invite some friends to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they have never seen before. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. And guys, it's just about Halloween. Which means that this week, I've got my friends Will and Josh, and I'm going to make them watch a horror movie that they have never seen before. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ah! From 1974. Gentlemen, welcome to this cacophony of violence and death, this symphony of blood, this rodeo of glorious gore. Uh, spoiler alert. How do you have a symphony of blood? I mean, I can see a symphony of <laughs> organs. Like, you have a group of people, they're all playing organs, but blood, it's just kind of like splat sound. Well, if you play an organ, you, the blood spurts out, because you're, like, blowing into the organ. Right. And you blow the blood out. Along with the bile and the phlegm and, and the... Yeah, and the... What are the other, uh, the other bodily humors? Bodily fluids? Yeah. <laughs> the humors, uh, yes, uh... Phlegm, bile, blood, and um, what's the fourth one? I don't know. Brain matter? Yes, brains. The brains come out. Um, I would like to say it's good to be back from my time in the doghouse doing the After Darks. To all of my fans, I apologize for my behavior on them in advance. You want an Advil or something? (laughs) (laughs) No, let's not timestamp this. Come on, bro. No, I feel good. I am really stoked to look at what is supposedly a good horror movie yeah well um josh we've talked a little bit about your feelings about uh the friday the 13th franchise and will we've talked about the alien movies but i thought maybe i'd get you guys talking about your feelings on horror in general just briefly what how do you guys feel about horror you fans i would say yes and no okay i would say that i can get into horror it has to be the right mindset though um, and I feel like there's a lot of trashy horror and there's a lot of admiration of trashy horror that is, mm, I can get into to a certain extent. And then it's just like, this is a bad movie. Why am I wasting my time? Oh, because it's so fun. I mean, for me, I like to be scared. I like movies that are psychologically frightening. I like movies that make me go around and check all the rooms in my house. Uh, What's an so, example of that? Uh, Under the Skin is a supremely unsettling movie. Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple others, uh, and I'm blanking, which is not great. Will, what's something that you would consider a scary good horror movie? Well, you know what I just saw last week was Midsommar, Mm -hmm. Midsummer, um, 
which you know here's the thing i laughed throughout the whole movie it's funny in it's a lot of very parts. funny and i was like am i supposed to be scared or am i supposed to be laughing i guess both, both. but i think i have that reaction a lot i recently saw the sequel to it as well in the theater it, it oh, I too, missed that. as it was called and i oh, laughed. saw it too <laughs> i did and i laughed throughout that and i'm like am i supposed to be laughing am i supposed to be scared i don't know but it comes back to that you know horror comedy being flip sides of the same coin which you know we talk about so much so um but i did i did think it was creepy sort of after the fact thinking of it uh midsummer i'm talking about um it definitely was an unofficial remake of the wicker man oh yeah um which i thought was pretty interesting and i thought they did a lot of stuff it was just beautifully shot and uh, a lot of great colors and absolutely um but from the same director hereditary Mm -hmm. it's really to me a very scary movie because you're it's just very unsettling it's very weird you don't know what's going on yeah. Uh, Midsommar, and, oh, sorry. No, and, and he just has a good eye for cinematography. Yeah. Midsommar did not, in the end, really work for me personally, but just as like a piece of visual craftsmanship was mm-hmm. just stunning. And Cheaty from Good Place. Wasn't that weird? <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert. Yes. I haven't actually seen it, but that's awesome to know. That actually makes my desire to see it. Like, I will, I will have been kind of lazy about catching that one. I'm waiting for it to hit Amazon Prime. And now I know that as soon as it hits Amazon Prime, I will watch it. Cheaty finally winds up in the bad place. Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So a uh, question about uh, horror as a genre. What about creature f- like uh, f- features like The Thing? What's, what, does everyone have an opinion on that? Because I, I think Alien is almost a horror movie in that regard, even though it's clearly a sci-fi. Well, we, actually, that's kind of a genre that's getting a little away from this one because i think this film is a little more attached to the slasher genre you know so you're you know it's similar to the friday the 13th that we've been doing yeah and that's a part of why i picked it just because we seem to be a little bit in in that zone this year um but this predates those so it it'll be a little bit more setting up those archetypes so uh do you guys uh Josh, you've talked about them already on the bonus episode. So if you want to hear Josh's opinions, go listen to those and mm-hmm. juice my stats. Will, how do you feel about slasher films? I think we, I think I just talked about that a little bit, but a hold little on. bit, cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> but just that, that like subgenre specifically. You know, I can get into them. Um, sometimes I'm not a big fan of jump scares unless they're earned. Mm-hmm. Um, I can laugh at things that are bad i can appreciate things that are good um and i can identify things that are somewhat in the middle i guess uh there's nothing about slasher films that i either really love or really hate i guess it just is a case-by-case basis so we'll have to find out kind of where this one falls i'm interested to see how campy this one is uh in Mm. comparison to something like friday the 13th which is very self-aware. I mean, it's very formulaic. This movie, I'd like to hope, has a bit more of non-campness. And I do expect it to be over-the-top and sort of exploitative in its level of gore. But I do think it's going to hopefully take itself more seriously than those movies do. And my understanding, and I don't, I mentioned to you earlier, Dave, I don't 
even know what year this came out or can you couldn't even guess within five years but i imagine that it came out sort of early on kind of before a lot of these things became tropes and then became jokes and then jokes upon themselves and uh kind of went down that whole spiral so i expected to be somewhat like earnestly trying to scare us if that's the right word um but other than that i don't really know anything about it other than what i've kind of imagined but also when a movie has the audacity to put its entire plot synopsis in the title right you gotta hope they have something up their sleeve Oh, but what a title. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was Someone was cutting down a tree by me today, or maybe branches. I heard a lot of chainsawing. It's not a pleasant sound. No, it's a, quite a scary one. Um, well, let's say you don't know the specifics, which is fine, but surely you guys must know a little bit about this movie's reputation. I know of a character in it, the character they call... Leatherface. Ooh, Leatherface is from this movie. Ah, sorry, something just clicked there. Uh, yes. What's his? Deal? Or at least I believe that's a prediction I have. I have mm. done no, you know, I try to go in as blind as possible. I've done no research, but I believe that the famous Leatherface that I've seen referenced in so many comedies, uh, is is in this movie. And why is he called Leatherface? Probably because he's got a deformed face, but not an actual. Uh, that's very leathery. Okay. Okay. What about you, Will? In terms, like you know, we Josh, you sort of laid out a little bit of a reputational thought where you thought that there was going to be a lot of over the top gore in this. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a chainsaw. There's, there's no, there's no, there's a, you know, you're not, you're not cutting them with up with a switchblade. <laughs> So I've got the so here are my predictions or kind of thoughts about the movie um, or or the impressions that I'm currently under. And I'm very naive to this movie. I know very little. But I think it was uh, made... I'm going to guess it was made in the 70s. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess that it kind of has that 70s look to it where uh, there's a lot of realism to it, but kind of like that grainy uh, picture quality. Um, I think it's probably pretty low budget. Um, I think there's going to be a shot of a hallway that's backlit with a dude holding a chainsaw over his head being like ah i think that's gonna happen i think there's gonna be a lot of like victim pov shots where the where the chainsaw kind of lunges forward off screen and then we see blood splatter i think that's gonna happen a lot and i predict that there's going to be like a an early uh performance from an actor that i'm not expecting like a something like a a, a jeff goldblum or like what's the what's the movie with sylvester stallone on the subway or uh, Jeff Goldblum is a thug on the subway in Death Wish. That's that's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah. yeah. So something like that. I could be off base on that one, but I'm kind of have my fingers crossed that I'm going to see like a, a not not a Warren Beatty, but like a Daniel Stern and Chud type of deal. That would be nice. I mean, I got my heart broken the last. So just spoiler alert: the two the Jason sequels do not offer you that. Mm. Uh, so I but Jason one does. But Jason one does in a big way, and so I'm kind of yeah. I guess that's that. I always hold out hope in a horror movie that someone's going to show up. Is there any chance that like a 19-year-old Whoopi Goldberg gets murdered? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know why she came to mind, but something like that. And people had to make a paycheck in the 70s somehow, so... Uh, but I, I this is supposed to be... This is the movie that launched a genre, although I think it probably... It either influenced or borrows influence from The Hills Have Eyes. Ooh, love um, that one. The, which is, I think, Carpenter. Here's a question, Dave, and you don't have to answer this. 
who directed this movie? Uh, do you want me to tell you? Well, Will, do you mind uh, if we know beforehand? I or don't mind you if we wait? go in knowing who uh, directed it. Uh, the director's Toby Hooper. Uh, okay, no idea who that is. Um, so it's a made up name. <laughs> he is most famous for directing this film, but he also directed uh, Poltergeist. Oh. Now, with Poltergeist specifically, there's a little bit of uh, argument amongst people about how much... Because uh, Poltergeist is produced by Spielberg, and in the directing style has a very Spielbergian quality to it. So there's a lot of uh, argument about how heavy a hand Spielberg had on the directing end of it. But at least in terms of who is credited as the director of that film, it's Toby Hooper. Other than that, he's got a few other films uh, that I can name off. But Josh, I think the one that you will be most familiar with is a little movie starring Patrick Stewart called Life Force. Oh, I have not seen this movie, but I am aware of it. It's a it's a space movie where it, right? yeah, it's like a space invaders, space psychic vampires yes. thing. It's it's the movie he gets made fun of for being in all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, uh, he's he's got a he had to make a paycheck before Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation. Well, he, ex- he his explanation is always like he had to get his kitchen redone. He got a quote that was like. 30,000 pounds and then the next day someone was like hey would you make this movie he's like what's it pay they were like 30,000 pounds he was like done yeah <laughs> oh, I'm in it I mean that's one thing about actors is you can't fault them for taking work you know no. I can't fault David Cross for doing the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies they're probably they paid apparently they paid for his upstate New York summer home good for him and I heard that they're better than you think they are. Uh, we could do them on the pod because no, I've, will not. I've never seen. Let's. Why don't we do that? Talk about a real horror movie. That could be hey. an after dark uh, series. The Chipmunk Cycle One, Two, and Three. The Squeakles, if you will. <laughs> yes, that's what they're called. Uh, one of them's called Road Chip. Which uh, don't get me started on the puns in the titles of those movies. I've spent a lot of calories being angry at them. Now, I don't know why. The not- only movie series that's allowed to do that is the Air Buds. As far as I'm concerned. I don't want to walk us down uh, too big of a tangent, but I also think there's something bizarre about those Chipmunks movies where they're voiced by, like, Timberlake and Justin Long. Like, the actual Chipmunks are huge celebrities. Hmm. Anyway, podcast for another day. So, do you guys have any thoughts about um, particular shots or scenes that might occur in this film? You've mentioned a few thoughts, but anything else? Well, I would I w- definitely think crane shots. Now, now that we've talked about, now you know that we pulled the cover back on that uh, Friday the Thirteenth crane shot. I expect lots of uh, cameras going up and down stairs and roaming hallways. Mm. Okay. Any anything about the cast? Maybe a nineteen-year-old Whoopi Goldberg is. I ho- can only hope. I'll put that in the hopes section. I'm guessing. I'm actually going to put money on a bunch of nobodies. I think that there'll be mostly nobodies, but, you know, I, I kind of am thinking that, well, here's a weird thing, is I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in my brain occupies a very similar space to, like, the Waco thing that happened yeah. when we were kids. Yeah. I think it's just, like, something horrible where a bunch of people died in Texas, and I think they those things just kind of blended Which together. Which time? So. <laughs> 
I don't know the, the, the in the early '90s or whatever when the yeah, they had the no, compound in the, in the but um <laughs> Branch Davidian that's it Branch Davidian so it's uh, 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 for some reason I think that those two are linked in my brain not that I think that there's any actual connection uh, but um, the prediction would be that it takes place in Texas I haven't thought about the location of this movie well I mean oh Texas Chainsaw Massacre feels like a safe bet Josh oh my goodness. Oh, that's dumb. I thought they were referring to the Scottish band Texas. <laughs> well, here's a not a predictive question, but just something I was wondering about. Uh, both of you guys like films um, and, you know, maybe lukewarm on horror, but this is a pretty famous movie. How is it that you wound up not seeing this movie? I think it's about 10 years. So it's I was in, born in 85. It's about 11 years before I was born, probably off the VHS shelves in most of the rental uh, spots. Yeah, you know, I think it's just one of those that made it through all the all the filters, I guess. I mean, it's just I, I, I never sought it out, I guess it would be one reason. Um, but even, you know, movies that are as well known as this one, even if you don't seek them out, you end up seeing them somewhere along the way. So I, I sort of consider this to be like the godfather of slasher flicks. Like mm-hmm. it's a heralded, widely known title that... If you don't actually go out of your way to see it, you never will. See, now I I have seen the film, but I caught it pretty late in life. um, And that was sort of because, I mean, there's the title alone, but then also the reputation that it has for just being so scary. And then also for being a particularly brutal film. And so for a long time, I actually consciously avoided watching this film because I was just I was too scared to watch it. I was afraid of what I might see. You thought there might be a Ringu situation. What happens in Ringu? Well, in the ring, you watch the isn't you watch oh, the and then tape. You, then you... once you watch it, you're doomed. Yeah. No, I was just you know I was I was a wimp. I was a pussy. I I was just too afraid to watch this one. Hey hey hey, we don't we don't use that word. You know, you were just a. Uh... An emasculated, nope, uh, it's the PC Feminized. Word. No, no, no. No, girly. Gender neutral, please. Gender neutral, please, on your insults of your self-deprecation. You were like a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did. Stuffed with cotton candy. Uh, so you're saying yes. you didn't, ha- you weren't man enough. There Texas we go. Chainsaw. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good thing we all have cigars and glasses of whiskey because we're definitely, this is the manliest way to watch. I'm not even sitting on a chair. Movie. I'm just sitting pillowed on my gigantic testicles. Oh boy. Um. So it's like a giant beanbag chair. So yeah, no, I was, I was afraid to watch Ooh. it. Well, big prediction that just came to my head. Speaking of uh, masculinity, giant testicles, nudity. There's oh. gonna Ooh. be nudity in this movie. Yeah, okay. boobies. I think it's gonna be boobies. Male butt, maybe. Maybe male butt. There's there's no cock in it, um, and I can hope beyond hopes for one of those giant '70s bushes, but I don't <laughs> think we're gonna quite get there either. So maybe not full frontal. Now this is a movie that I think also just talking about. Uh, availability i don't think it's ever on streaming uh on platforms i don't think anyone's got the rights to it it seems like it's a pretty exclusive uh property Hmm. we'll we'll be watching this today on a blu-ray that i got 
from the library. Whoa, big endorsement to the library. Support your local civic institutions, kids. But it brings up something I think somewhat interesting about this movie is it is, I think, um, famous for being somewhat subversive and maybe in uh, sort of the same realm as uh, even a movie like Deep Throat, where it was kind of big in in maybe drive-ins and things like that in its era, um, but certainly wasn't accepted by uh, sort of the, the, the larger squares. film community, the squares, the, yeah. the academy. Yeah. How yeah. do you think it is subversive? Um, just from how violent it is probably the violence and, and maybe the aforementioned boobies mm. yeah i wonder if my parents saw this movie my mom is not the most i mean she's a very liberal-minded person but she's sort of conservative when it comes to films but she would have been in her mid-20s so she would have been the prime audience for this type of thing when mm. it came out mm. was this an is this considered an independent film yeah yeah, yeah. oh interesting okay so it's like halloween yeah. Yeah. I mean, no studio backing and that type of thing. Yeah. Nope. And actually, when we come back, there's a little, there's a tiny story about how this got funded. Interesting. Now, this has been remade. It has. Yeah. And there's a little bit about that too. And that's uh, that's okay. I'll talk about that in part two. Uh, I gotta say, I mean, I I am excited to return to the normal format of the show. Uh, and I know I alluded to this earlier, but when we were doing the after darks, they've they've usually been at night. They've usually been like late at night. And it's kind of nice to go back to the meat and potatoes of Better Late Than Never, where we're just going to sort of sit down and critically analyze this uh, spoiler alert in the afternoon. And it won't be so scary this way. I mean, it might be. Yeah, I, I but see, I that's why I like fall and horror movies. And I'm a broken record on this. But like, I like to be freaked out a little bit. I like going home and being like, is someone in my closet right now? So I do hope I have high expectations for this to sort of put me in that mentality so that when I get home from this podcast, I'm like, Kat, it's going to be you and me on the couch and we're locking all the doors. All right. Well, last call for predictions. I just want to borrow your pillow. <laughs> you can't. I am the pillow. All right. Well, in that case, guys, let's massacre some chainsaws. Woo! Ree, ree, ree. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. survives, but will be left. 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. So that was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Holy fucking shit! What the fucking... Holy Christ. Okay. <laughs> was it what you expected? In some ways, yeah, and in some ways, definitely no. Oh my god, that it, was bizarre. It feels like it made an impression. I mean, wow. That... The pendulum swung quite a bit. In uh, in both directions there. Yeah. In, in what and what are the two sides of that pendulum? Okay. Well, for the first forty five minutes to an hour, I was like, "This is a pretty by the numbers slasher movie," but something is obviously odd, and they're alluding to it. But I sort of presumed we had hit what I thought would be essentially the end of the movie. And then they were like, oh, no, that's just the third act. Get ready for acts four and five, which are completely batshit insane. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll get deeper into that. But just for starters, I want to ask the question that has always sort of been at the back of my mind, which is, for a movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, do you guys think that it's kind of bullshit that not a single chainsaw is killed? <laughs> I'll see myself out. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of chainsawing. There is. That yeah. prediction was true. Um, but uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, I mean, we'll get deeper into it, but uh, first impression, good, bad. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, Nice. Uh, I gotta say, I was not on board with it probably until the until pivot. it took the turn until the pivot. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, just looking back on some hopes and fears in part one, was it campy? It was super campy. Was it formulaic? No. So interestingly, I would I mean, not say it's campy. Actually, I I didn't think it was campy or formulaic, but only because I mean, okay, well, I don't know this. Um, is this the first time that they did the uh, like bunch of attractive young people going to a random cabin in the woods, so to speak? Kind of stopping yeah. at the gas station first. It's 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 more or less, yeah. Um, Nineteen seventy four, so. There were horror movies that had elements of that beforehand, mm-hmm. but this is the first one to start giving us that. And there are other elements of that genre that this did first that I'll, I'll start getting to. But, um, you know, it predates the Friday the 13th movies. It predates mm-hmm. the Evil Dead films and, you know, Halloween, all of those. So, yeah, it's kind of the first one. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is... When I say I think it's campy, I think the performances of the strange Leatherface family, those guys are really just chewing the scenery. I mean, they're very silly. It's like the scenery is made out of chocolate. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, But it was sort of like one of the predictions that did come true to a certain extent was it seemed to take itself seriously, which Mm -hmm. was to its benefit. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Even though it was a little, so, I mean, it had an independent film vibe. Some things were goofy. Some things you're like, that was really the only usable take of that. But uh, it was quite self-aware. Well, I think that's a good point to segue into a little bit of background stuff that I have on this. So uh, in addition to the usual like wiki surfing and Googling around that I do, I actually consulted a book. What's that? 
It is uh, someone took a piece of the internet and then printed it onto paper. Oh, wow. And then, like, bound it. Yeah, something you can find in the library along with Blu-ray DVDs of disturbing movies. Yeah, it's in the back. <laughs> uh, so this is Shock Value by Jason Zineman. I've referenced it in other pods, too, but he's got a chapter on this movie. So I looked at, there are a few facts that I'll reference that also come from that. I'll try and credit it where I remember to, but just to make sure I get it out at the top, there's info from this book in this discussion. Cool. Uh, and one of the things I learned is that, so this movie partially came about because a wealthy Texan wanted to finance a film that his girlfriend could star in. Wow. So, yeah, that's why we have this movie. That's that's like the classic, like, uh, I forgot that was the thing that happens. Well, I don't think that happens quite like that very often. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. So Marilyn Burns, who plays um, uh, Sally, was uh, she was an, an actress at UT and um, also a waitress, I think, and was dating this rich Texan guy who had enough money, or at least, you know, I don't know how rich he was, but had enough money to at least put a few tens of thousands of dollars behind getting an indie film made. But what's the process there? Did he hire a screenwriter? I mean, where did this script come from? Yeah, basically he, you know, once he had the money together, he looked around for someone to write a script. And there's the, so the guy who wrote this was named Kim Henkel. And he and Toby Hooper knew each other, and they had a script for a movie. It was originally called Head Cheese, but that was not considered a very good title. <laughs> That's a great title. So they came up with something better, I more mean, evocative. I think the Head Cheese would have also been in a very appropriate title for this movie. It's a bad title. It's great, but it's a reference to ties into the Hitchhiker's whole no, thing. I, I understand that, but like, what? I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But come on, it does a good job of masking how bizarre it truly is. And head cheese is like, I I could so totally get this movie being titled that. Yeah, but you get it. But that's one where like you get it after seeing the film. Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually gets you in the door. Yeah, just on the title alone. Yes. Or it keeps you out of the theater, I guess. Sure. Too, but but you know what you're getting. There's oh, yeah. no ambivalence there. Yeah. Uh, there's a great Patton Oswalt bit about this um, yes. th- this title, how it's the best title, because it basically you see a movie in your head just from hearing it. Yeah. It's interesting you reference Patton because there's a, uh, perf- there's a rehearsal studio in New York that has a couple of uh, photographs inside from when it used to be a theater. And some of the photographs of uh, movies on the marquee and one of them is The Fly. One of them is Deathbed, and somewhere else in the, uh, not in the same area that those two are, those are prominently displayed in, like, the green room, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Cool. So it sort of hits all of the patent beats and some of the better late than ever beats. Hey, we'll be having Patton as a guest in no time. (laughs) Get that crossover. But so, uh, the plot of the film, or the idea for this, was inspired uh, at least somewhat by the serial killer Ed Gein. Yes, I was mm. going to say, this very gainy. uh yes. So, so I did go through a serial killer phase, and so... Excuse yeah, me? I went through a phase where I was interested in serial killers. Not that I was Not a serial... Not an active participant. <laughs> no. But I worked on a... I did props for a haunted house that was uh, based on serial killers. It was called Killers. 
very very also inventive title <laughs> uh and uh each room of it was dedicated to a different serial killer so there was okay. an ed gain room that was very much just based off this movie mm. now in hindsight i didn't realize i didn't know that i didn't know any better because that was also like a stock room that i didn't have to do a lot of special props from but it was a family uh, it was a decrepit uh, dining room table. You came into it, and then a wall of it opened up, and Leatherface came out. Now, I didn't put any of that together before I watched this movie, but it clicked in about you know halfway through. Mm. And so the other thing about this that people usually know is that the filming of this movie was notoriously a nightmare. So kind of like not as like cursed as Apocalypse Now, but just like really unpleasant. So. Uh, they had to film for 16-hour days, seven days a week, in the height of the Texas summer. So uh, it was normally about 100 degrees, but occasionally peaked at 110, and it was humid. It mm. was not a dry heat. The fake blood they used, whenever there was blood, was, of course, made out of various kinds of syrups, which meant that flies came in from hundreds of miles around mm-hmm. to bother everybody. Uh, because they only had one version of a lot of the costumes, they couldn't wash them to like because they're worried about like fading or changing them. So they had to wear the same one over and over again, which uh, was especially a problem for the guy playing Leatherface because he had to keep putting that same mask on over and over again, day after day. And he stank. He said by the end of it, like he couldn't be around other people in the crew because he stank so bad. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, the guy who played the hitchhiker, he said uh, he was a Vietnam vet. He said, I moved troops through the jungles of Vietnam, and it wasn't as bad as making this film. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, just a lot of little, like, things went wrong with people getting hurt. Like, apparently, every single cast member obtained some level of injury during the course of the movie. Like, people got brained either with prop hammers or real hammers that were being used theoretically gently but got hit too hard with them uh the the grandpa's hammer when he's supposed to hit sally they had a real one that she got hit with and hurt with um they couldn't get the stage blood for the dinner scene to work right so they just wound up cutting her finger that's a real cut that they give her with a razor wow yeah you're actually seeing that the chainsaw that's um in some of those scenes that is an actual running chainsaw that they just put within at one point was within three inches of one of the actor's faces for a shot Mm. and just like yeah yeah just like people left the movie with like black eyes and cuts and like burst blood vessels in their eyes and like all kinds of like little little injuries that they sustained to make this fucking movie little did they know it would all turn out to be quite worth it there's one thing I want to dwell on there is that you said they they had to shoot it at the height of the Texas summer, but that seems like a choice. Oh, I didn't say they had to. I just said they did. Why would you do that? I don't know. I mean, I do appreciate... Versimilitude? I appreciate how difficult it is, like uh, how terrible an experience it must have been, but then you're like, you're if you're on that crew, you're like, so why are we doing this in September? Like, no. what's the deal? <laughs> why, why, why are we doing this, producers? I don't know. Um, but getting to what you said, Will... Um, and this is this is from the Zineman book. This is the movie that, at the very least, introduced America to the the masked killer, you know, as, as a genre staple. So there had been Italian giallo films that had killers who wore masks, 
But in those movies, the mask was usually about hiding the identity of a killer who was trying to escape. Mm. But this film introduced the American horror movie idea of a killer who wears a mask where the mask doesn't hide identity, but the mask creates the identity. So like Leatherface and Michael Myers and Jason, the mask is the character, you know, and, uh, you know, other things that they wind up having in common were like, you know, a signature weapon in this case, a chainsaw. And then uh, Wikipedia mentions a few other things. And I want to read the sentence it has because it has an amusing ending. So according to Wikipedia, the movie is credited with originating several elements common in the slasher genre, including the use of power tools as murder weapons, the characterization of the killer as a large, hulking, faceless figure, and the killing of victims. <laughs> Oh, oh, kind okay. of a crucial one. Yeah. Well, thanks. What for were they doing to the victims prior? Tickling them <laughs> with with feathers from your pillow. Yeah, yeah. And then, lastly, just as uh, some backgroundy stuff, uh, as a rating, I think we were asking if it was rated X. Mm-hmm. The movie was originally rated X. They made cuts to it that got it down to R. But funnily enough, some theaters wound up just running the original cut anyway under the R rating, and people were, like, disgusted with this film. Nice. They, like, walked out. I mean, we'll talk about it more after the fact, but this was a controversial movie. Was it uh, grotesqueness that brought it in, or was it nudity? Well, I mean, you saw the film. Clearly, it's not nudity, because there really isn't any. I thought maybe there were, they were having sex upstairs. In that scene where Franklin is just bugging out outside no, they're just running around laughing and giggling i think yeah well some of those noises anyway but um yeah it was it, this movie was banned in britain i think until 1998 now ah, the have always been so the video nasties thing also the british wound up uh banning any movies with a chainsaw in the title what other movies have chainsaw in the title out of rip off movies of this i guess <laughs> the tennessee chainsaw happenstance yeah i would see that actually the connecticut chainsaw incident that sounds a little tame it's a, connecticut. It's, it's a posh one <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway uh but yeah but uh getting to the fact there's not a lot of nudity so unfortunately well no great 70s bush no no bush but there were a lot of bum shots there were a lot of butt shots and there were also a lot of no bra shots yeah but it was the 70s so we get that 70s element But I think the other thing worth mentioning about this film, since we're talking about the lack of nudity and uh, the rating and its reputation a little bit, did you guys find that given the film's reputation, there's not actually a lot of gore in this film? Oh, I think there's quite a bit of gore. Really? I mean, maybe not active gore, but certainly in the the gross details of the... Things about the movie are gross, but I think a lot of that is implied. I mean, I guess we're about to get into it more, but, you know, there's there's I don't think there's an awful lot of like viscera or blood. There's less like hacking someone up with a chainsaw and seeing someone get covered in buckets of blood. I I guess I'd give you that. But what kind of got me in the parts of the movie that I found disturbing was, as you said before, like she cuts herself for real or even earlier on in the movie with where our hitchhiker friend kind of slices himself and they sort of dwell on it and they don't cut away from it and it seems very real it seems very real whereas you know if you're seeing someone get hacked to bits there's always 
I feel like a, a certain level of distance that you have from it. It doesn't uh, cut away either. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, even though it wasn't like you're not actually seeing, you know, guts explode out of people and stuff like that, uh, I think that it did sort of dwell on just the the goriness or the bloodiness, um, mm. and that was unsettling. I re- I also really thought. I mean, I there were some times where I thought it was coming, like at the dinner scene when there was a lot of close up shots of her face. I kept thinking we were going to get a pull away to show that they had like disemboweled her or something. But well, uh, I guess this is a good moment to talk about the directing. We went into Toby Hooper a little bit before. Uh, one movie of his I forgot to mention was The Fun House, which is another kind of slasher film that's kind of fun if you get a chance to check it out. He also directed Salem's Lot, mm. which was a miniseries. But uh, anything about the directing you want to mention or call out specifically? I liked the directing a lot on kind of two different planes, I think. One, because it was clearly sort of a first attempt, a low budget. They're kind of putting together what they had. I don't think he went to film school before he made this movie. I could be wrong about that. Um, But there was a lot of sort of amateur, almost inventiveness, I think. Totally. Um, But there were also some shots that I thought were very impressive. And, uh, you know, using natural lighting in a way that was impressive. Oh, yeah. Um, Certain things like opening with, I think it was like a dead armadillo or something with a truck in the background. Um, Some shots that I actually found pretty inventive uh, for kind of... And overall, I mean, I used the word amateur already, but but something that clearly wasn't slick and polished and produced by Hollywood and by people who had like a long careers doing this. Yeah. And we've mentioned already, it's that lack of slickness and polish that works in the movie's favor. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a rawness to it that makes it feel more unsettling and like dangerous. And like complete anarchy, like, you know, and we'll probably get to how the movie sort of evolves or devolves or explodes or whatever the right word is. But you just kind of don't know what's going to happen and you kind of feel anything's going to happen, which was exciting, I thought. It opens really sharply with the uh, you get to see the photographs of what what looks to be corpses being taken, which is which is a nice credit sequence. And then it opens on that pan shot of the corpses that have been displayed in the great dug up and exhumed by some crazies and like basically turned into a statue in the graveyard and i thought that was awesome i was on board from that shot and you know so kudos to him and uh, for some of that those choices yeah it's almost like a warning to us as the audience like you're entering something here yes it's a good uh prologue to the movie that you know unfolds yeah and I have to say, not to dwell on it, because I, but I am going to be making some comparisons to the Friday the 13th series. There is so much more artistry in this movie, in this one movie, than all three of the ones we watched combined. And, oh, yeah. You know, that's, it's I a think, legit comparison to make. Like, this is, I mean, this is way more what I expected the Jason movies to have in them based on their reputation, and they just are severely lacking. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why I mentioned it, you know, a little bit during Jason 1 when we talked that that though that series is viewed kind of as a pale imitation, maybe of this, but more especially of the Halloweens, which in itself is kind of, uh, you know, taking elements that this movie started. So uh, a funny tidbit, just because I have this director's filmography up, you know, the what he directed prior to this, Peter, Paul and Mary, the song is love. Which I assume was like a live, a live folk special. I, I don't really know. I didn't know that there was a Peter, Paul, and Mary movie, but he directed it. Uh, how did we feel about the cast? Is there anyone we want to call out for special accolades? Maybe Marilyn Burns playing Sally. 
for someone who is cast based on their proximity to wealth, she's pretty great. I mean, she must have really blown her voice out with all that screaming. I actually wrote down in my notes that at, in that scene at the end when she, that she's going through that horrible, terrible dinner with the creepy family, it is particularly effective terror screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyone else? Uh, the dad of the family. I, I The gas station attendant. Jim Sidow. Yeah. So any relation to Max von Sidow? Uh yeah, they're twins. Oh yeah, that's why he but he had to drop the Vaughn to differentiate himself. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think actually all three of the family members, you're pretty crazy. The hitchhiker. Um, I guess we'll just call him the hitchhiker. Did he have a name? The son, uh, the boy, yeah. Nubbins. Nubbins. He's the Sawyer family, so he's Nubbins Sawyer. Uh, and what's the gas station attendant's name? Drayton. Okay, we're gonna call him Pops. I'm not saying I'm not saying Drayton. I'm not saying trading over the and over. The proprietor. The proprietor. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the guy who plays Leatherface, by the way, is named Gunnar Hansen. Just to call him out. I mean, he was good. I yeah. So I'd say those those four. I mean, they're the his well, physicality is pretty great. And not no one else like was too much of a weak link to really call out. The only other person I think bears mentioning is uh, the narrator. Oh yeah, John Larroquette. Which I think counts for my prediction, but of we a name actor. I think yeah, so. I'll give you. Yeah, I'll give points for that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you can count that as a win. Was this his first like movie role? I don't think so. Um, let me, <laughs> guys. Good news. We got John Larroquette. Yay! To do the narration. Boo. It's good. It's good narration. Yeah. Is he also the radio voice, or is that someone else? Uh, oh, I, I couldn't tell if it was the same. Yeah, I. I me neither. Well, anyway, so I guess let's just hit the plot of the film. Sure. Um, so the movie opens in a way that I'm sure you approve of, Josh, with an opening scrawl. Uh, one of my favorite ways to open a movie. And um, it also has that very indelible camera flashbulb noise that mm -hmm. is so associated with this film. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys remember the when the remake of this movie came out, but the trailer for it featured that flashbulb sound very prominently in the trailer and that like that was around that trailer played a lot and that like camera flashbulb sound i feel like it had an influence on trailers for a while maybe i'm just thinking of that one but i sort of feel like for horror films it was the same as the like the blomp that inception did to trailers for a bit i could be yeah. superimposing this but i do feel like it was part of seven somehow maybe at least the trailer maybe. i don't remember but anywho so and then we of course get that long opening shot of the corpse monument which in addition to being very creepy also establishes that this film is going to move at least for the first half or two-thirds of it at a very languid pace it's a really slow moving film for a lot of it and for me the first time i watched it because of the title and its reputation I found that really effective because the whole time it, it was just building dread. Like I kept the, I was just like waiting for it all to go wrong. So even though nothing was happening yet, this whole like slow paced unfolding of them getting there and slightly weird stuff happening. I just kept my dread just kept building the whole time. Did you guys find that? I agree with you. I don't know if I necessarily a hundred percent felt that. Um, also, I think just because the plot sort of, disposed to some of the characters i thought pretty early on and almost unceremoniously um so 
I kind of thought they got to the killing kind of pretty quickly. Um, I think maybe because there wasn't a lot of, I think, that as, what's been built into these movies um, as they've, you know, continued to be made, of course, is like there's a lot of interpersonal drama that's more written. There's a lot more dialogue. There's a lot more, you know, overt uh, sort of inner conflict uh, among the characters. And here it was they didn't really waste time with that. They were just kind of hanging out. I mean, you kind of knew that, you know. Franklin was pissed off at being dragged along in this somehow and he was relying on the other folks and but you know there wasn't just there, there it wasn't overly written there wasn't a lot of and I appreciated that I appreciated there not being a kind of tedious character arcs that we needed to be concerned with yeah nowadays they'd be wasting our time with like some kind of like it, it's supposed to like build their character fast that you know they're establishing that like oh like jesse may have been sleep- sleeping with tina's boyfriend and they're mad at each other you know and it's just like we don't care yeah well at the same time it also un- unrolled some nice subtle exposition like the fact that that they were going to visit their family property that the, their their family their relatives worked at the slaughterhouse they're checking um, to see if uh, the grave had been vandalized. Yeah, like a lot of these. One of the not to not to say it's it doesn't it establishes enough of a backstory that you can sort of get in, invested in these characters without it being too much like drama driven of their their emo, their own personal emotional problems. I would say there is some slight interpersonal conflict just in the fact that Franklin is pretty annoying. Yeah, he's annoying. I mean, he has cause to be annoying because, like, they are kind of excluding him. We should mention, too, that Franklin is, uh, so there's five characters. There's Sally, her boyfriend Jerry, there's another couple, Kirk and Pam, and then there's Franklin, who's Sally's brother, who's in a wheelchair. And um, he is kind of left out of a lot of stuff because he can't accompany them to do everything. But he's also very irritating a lot of the time. But he's the talker of the group, so... He's given that personality trait. Yeah. Um, you were right, though, Will, that this does have a grainy, low-budget, 70s-looking feel. Which How did I ever nail that one? I know. <laughs> but it's like, that makes it scarier. I don't know what yeah. it is about the 70s. Why is the 70s the scariest decade? I don't know. I, but it was also funny because hitchhiking wasn't considered a dangerous thing in that era. So the fact that they picked up a hitchhiker and the hitchhiker ends up being the villain of the movie is actually against the stereotype. Like hitchhiking in the 70s was largely done and largely safe. Well, let's talk about the hitchhiker. So they're driving through this rural area of Texas and they see, hey, a hitchhiker, let's pick well, him up. First, they've checked on the, their grandfather's grave and they find it's OK. It's OK. It seems yeah. intact. And now they're going to this uh, this decrepit property of theirs that they want to check out. Yeah, and they decide, they see a hitchhiker, and against some of their better judgments, they decide to pick him up. Yeah. Now, before they do, i just like to quickly mention, they're talking about astrology, and I kind of thought to myself, a bunch of hippies talking about astrology, I'm okay with them being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're talking about retrograde, which I believe is a real thing um, that impacts my life. So I guess you're okay with me being murdered. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been clear no, about that I'm not into, I'm not into astrology, but we do. There are several times a year when the planet Mercury is in retrograde, and they it actually does tend to have this. Uh, it's like a period of time where I'm like more klutzy with things, like strange things happen. 
It's all in your head, uh, Josh. Maybe it's a placebo. Maybe it's a real thing. But uh, they're talking in this about Saturn being in retrograde, which I've never heard of as a thing. But that I means assume, you get murdered. Assume any of the planets hmm. could be in retrograde at any given what time. What does it mean to be in retrograde if you're a planet? You're moving away from the sun, I believe. Uh, whatever. If I'm wrong about that, <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> so this hitchhiker talks about how uh, the slaughterhouse... It used to be that the the steer and the, the cows were killed with a sledgehammer, and that's what his family did. But now that they've adopted the cool air gun from No Country for Old Men to kill them, his family's been put out of work. And that does add a pretty interesting socioeconomic uh, spin on the, the motivations of the killers of this movie, don't you think? Sure, but then this they pick up this crazy hitcher, and they're talking to him about the slaughterhouse because he... No, he's the one who brings it up. Uh, yes, and he's but he's like that bolt thing. It's it's not good. It's not good. Well, it's, it's not, not better because it put his family out of work. Uh, I thought. Oh, is does he say that? Yeah, okay. he says it's bad, and it's because you know his family was the the hammer people, and now they're out of work because the air gun came in and took well, all, took their jobs. They may be out of work there, but they're certainly still in business. Oh yeah, and business is booming. But then he starts doing weirder things. Like for one, he cuts his fucking hand open. Which for me, if I was driving, probably would have been enough to kick him out of the car right there. Yeah, you stopped the car right then. <laughs> that would have been enough for me, but evidently not for these guys. Because uh, they let him take it a step further, which is they he starts burning a photo that he took. Oh, he takes a picture of them, which they're not into, and then he well, he tries to charge them for it. He's like, $2 for the picture, and they're like, dude, we did not agree to give you any money for that picture. We didn't even want you to take it. And so he takes some aluminum foil out, sprinkles some gunpowder or some kind of pellets, and then, yes, in the van, lights it on fire, which he does actually kind of quite control. Like, it's a, it's sort of like a little magic trick. He folds it up, but... Uh, but then he fucking cuts Franklin with a gross straight razor. Yeah, which he's flashed. They know he has it. Yeah, but like, ugh, ugh, he needs a tetanus shot after that. Yeah, they don't they don't really freak out enough probably about what goes down in the van. They kick him out of the van though. They do. At I, that point, yeah. That that's the straw that broke the camel's back. I <laughs> mean, there were just a lot of crazy shit happening in vans in the 70s, I think, you know. They weren't it wasn't as immediately like, whoa, you know. Yeah, I guess not kids the were, weirdest thing that van has seen. Kids were going around solving mysteries in them. Mm. Dogs were talking to stoners in them. Oh, geez, Scoob. I don't like the looks of this house. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is kind of the, the Scooby-Doo mystery, except they don't think the house is haunted ahead of time. But uh, so they uh, they but the problem is they kick the hitcher out, but then they're running out of gas. So they stop at a gas station. And yeah. a man who looks very much like Louis C.K. immediately starts to wash their van. Okay, I didn't see it, but uh, sure. I didn't think it at the time, but the protruding forehead and the and the bald... The balding paint. ginger mane. Yes. Yeah. And he was jerking off at the time. <laughs> yeah, you're forgetting the they, thing. They asked him to part. stop, but he, uh, he just kept right on doing it. Yeah, he thought it was okay because, you know, he they didn't say no. It was the scariest part of the film. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, the gas station attendant lets them know, unfortunately, there is no gas, uh, and he's getting some later in the afternoon, which made me kind of go, oh, yeah, that was, like, a thing, huh? Like, you couldn't... Well, it also could have been a lie, because as we'll find out later, the, he is the proprietor, the proprietor of the gas station is in on it, and the hitchhikers left a mark on their van, 
When ah. he got out of the car, he used his, his bloody hand to use blood to leave a mark on their car. Oh, so that was a signal for them. It might have been. Mm. I don't know for sure. I think it's possible. That's a better explanation than it served no purpose at all. So I like that. Um, I'm willing to buy that. Yeah. But so anyway, so they can't get their gas, so they just go to the the rundown property that they're going to check out. And actually, there's a moment where he's what's interesting about the the proprietor is he's like, "No, you don't want to do that." He actually tries to steer them away from it. He's like, "I've got some barbecue. Why don't you hang out here? The gas will come." So I wondered if that was actually the first that was the trap was to keep them there. Maybe, yeah. Mm. And they just sort of lucked into the fact that they went to the house. But then he's also like, oh, your dad owns a house nearby. Hmm. But he warns them that people might not take kindly to it. Yeah. To them hanging out. Anyway, so there's there's mixed vibes. You think he's kind of on their side. They buy some barbecue, which I immediately questioned, like, the barbecue looks gross. Yeah, even before we get to the part where we realize what's really up with that barbecue, I'm like, you're buying barbecue at a gas station, and then they're cutting the barbecue with the knife that was just used to slice the weird guy's hand like there's blood still on it i just had a lot of and trouble with the sanitation if you didn't yeah. remember there was blood on it they go out of their way to remind you a few times so the character's like oh my god this there's this guy's blood on this it's yeah. like yeah of course there is he just cut his hand open with it it's, it's a gross film it is a gross film. And then also, Franklin has a, a sausage in his mouth for far <laughs> too long. He's chomping on it like it's a goddamn cigar. Yes, he <laughs> like is. For, for like seeds, like, oh God, for like what must be like at least 45 minutes, you know, of movie, of real time in the movie. He's got a sausage in his mouth. Yeah, nice Thai cob in it with that, that sausage for uh, a while. They get, so they get to the their old family home and uh, the four able-bodied uh, members of the group all run inside and are checking it out and giggling and having a fun time leaving franklin all by his lonesome because he can't get around easily in this environment with his wheelchair he has been cut up by a hitchhiker has been left alone by his friends he, he felt is, he rolled down a hill earlier and presumably spilled a bucket of his own piss all over himself he's not having a great time no he's also the only one who's sort of obsessed with the marker Who's rightfully calling attention to the oddness of it. Yeah. So anyway, so Kirk and Pam, one of the couples, they're like, hey, we heard about the old swimming hole. We'd like to go check that out. So they go wandering off to look for the swimming hole. They don't find it, but they do hear that there's a generator running at the next property over. And they think, hey, they must have gas. Let's go check it out. They missed the first red flag, which is once they get on the property, there's a a bunch of abandoned car. Oh, not abandoned. Empty cars. It's a car graveyard. Clearly covered with like ground covering so that you can't tell that it's a car graveyard. And they both just look at this and go, hmm. Hmm. That's weird. That's weird. It's odd. No, I don't even think they even comment on it. They're just like, gotta get that gas. Because I have to get back on the road. I mean... They're they're they are a little like directionless. I don't know what their intentions are. Right, because if their intended destination was that house, what's the hurry in getting gas so they can get away from the house? And well, I mean, it's such a rural area, and this is like pre-modern times, pre-modern times, pre-now times. So, like, you know, if they don't know where they can get gas soon, they might be stuck for a long time. Yeah, but know? they can go back to the gas station and get it once the tank has been refilled. I guess. But also, what do they really have to worry about? Because this looks like a very nice, white-painted, rural house from the outside. Nothing to worry about, other than the car graveyard. Looks nice enough. 
Yeah, it's odd. There's nothing that scary about it. I mean, there's a tooth on the porch. A human tooth! A human tooth. And what I like is they <laughs> picks up the human tooth, and instead of being like, holy shit, a human tooth, let's run away as fast as we can, he's like, hey, this is going to be a fun prank. Now, this is a real do-not-go-in-there moment, because they he knocks on the front door of the house, and it just magically swings open. And there's a screen door, but instead of just saying, well, I guess no one's home, I should probably just call it quits, he eventually decides to creep into the house because yeah. he hears the sort of guttural noises of a pig. Yeah. Now, okay, so you have Pam has gone to sit on a swing in the front yard. Kirk is sort of like hovering at the threshold. Uh, Will, this, I think, is kind of the one of the hallway shots you were talking about a little bit, sort of. Yes. Well, is there's, this what you're predicting? I think there is one shot... Um, where uh leatherface appears in that doorway and it is kind of backlit and i think that was the image in my head yeah well this this whole like this is one of the iconic scenes from this movie is this first kill so kirk enters the house pam sits on the swing kirk hears the pig and approaches this door inside the house and then so fucking fast it happens Leatherface, basically like Tom Cruise in uh, Risky Business, just like slides into the doorway, pops him on the head with a hammer. He hits the ground and starts twitching like awfully from this head injury. Leatherface pops him one more time and then pulls him deeper into the room and then slams that like terrifying metal door closed. And then that's just it. That's the whole scene. It's just like Leatherface hit, twitch hit slam done first kill of the movie it takes like five seconds yeah which i loved and question on that yeah legally Uh uh-huh forgetting everything else happening surrounding before or after is leatherface in the right did did he commit a crime (laughs) because kirk is uh trespassing onto his property Technically, what Kirk has done is breaking and entering. Yes. However, um, theoretically, when you are defending yourself, you are supposed to defend yourself up to the level of the threat that you're facing. So it's this sort of like uh, if someone is threatening you with their fists, it is go it is overboard to shoot them dead. However, um, castle doctrine, um, you know, the sort of like when you're in your home. uh, self-defense doctrine allows for a much higher level of self-defense right um however when uh, sorry uh just to finish yeah when when you're in that situation you do sort of have to at least put forward the argument that you felt so threatened that that level of self-defense was called for which if leatherface were to say that i wouldn't be buying it I will say this, we can't forget the Con Air scenario, too, where if someone is in the military, then they have to know that their hands are deadly weapons. (laughs) (laughs) And so anyone they fight, fist fight with and maybe kill is is considered murder. Uh, What were you saying? Well, if someone breaks in, if someone broke into your apartment, say, and you hit them on the head with a baseball bat, that's fine, right? 
So I think, like, when he hits them first and he gets all twitchy, but, like, once someone's twitchy on the ground, you can't... The finishing I mean, him did. off would be... The fini- well, it's a mercy much. kill at that point, though, You're not right? allowed to mercy kill someone. <laughs> You're <laughs> not? Hold on. This is Texas. Let's not forget. Your yeah. Honor, I have to object... Several minutes later, this this client took a chainsaw and dismembered this man. Yeah, I mean, I think there are other circumstances of this crime that might lead you to believe that this is not a killing in self-defense. No, I was I was just isolating yeah, that I, I, one no, incident. It's a, it's a good it's a good comment to make. I mean, I, and then, if I was Leatherface's lawyer, I would consider <laughs> trying to do what I could. All right, you now, work with what you've got. Look, Leatherface, when we're in, we're in the trial, okay? Because, okay, because once he's dead, well, then, like, then you're just using the meat. Like, you know, so you can charge him with improper disposal of a dead body, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, he's already dead, so, like, you know, it's just, just eating him. I mean, that gets to another uh, legal or possibly moral question that I have. Like, how do you guys feel about cannibalism? I used to be against it. Uh-huh. Now I'm not so sure. Well... I mean, I'm against murder, okay? I'll go on the record and saying, like, hot take, I'm anti-murder. But if someone's already dead, like, it's just a waste to not eat them, right? That's just, you know, protein gone to waste. Uh, I don't know. Like, the, I like Cormac McCarthy's The Road a lot. That's one of my favorite books. But there's this real sticking point that they distinguish a good person from a bad person in this post-apocalyptic world by whether or not they eat people. And I'm like, what is that? Why is that the thing? It's just dead meat at that point. Eat it. I mean, right? if, I, if it was a survival scenario, I would eat. I'd eat. Yeah, probably human meat if let's, I had to. Let's say I right now. Not that I'm going to do this, but I brought out a plate of sausages, and I'm like, this was um, a young couple. Tragically, they died in an automobile accident, um, but their meat was harvested and, and made into this delicious sausage. Would you eat it? Oh well, I mean. You know how fatty is the meat? Because I'm on a special diet right now. Oh, it's 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 uh totally. It's lean. Oh, it's lean. Oh yeah. well, then I suppose healthy young couple. Hmm. I'm just decapitated in an <laughs> automobile accident. Oh well, then bring it on. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's weird. The more we talk about it, the more I'm inclined to say if I could grow my own vegetables, I would just do that and be straight. I don't think I would. I would. I feel like if it was a world without meat, then I would stop seeking it out i mean i was gonna say i used to be against cannibalism but then i started watching that show hannibal with mass nicholson and Mm -hmm. i mean after watching what he could do with human meat i mean just such beautiful beautiful cooking and i was like i I might be missing out on something Mm. so i mean yeah bring that young couple on do you actually have the sausages yes oh great just, yeah, there we go. I'll just track the, right now. Track it's the calories. They don't know. You know that can be dinner. Um. So here's here's one of my things about just to go back to the plot here is that there's something about the introduction of Leatherface where Leatherface is like, just doing my just doing my business. Up, oh, oh, what? Who's this person? Thwap. Okay, I guess I got to deal with this now. Like, there's like a real like uh, matter of fact. Yeah, about this him. like this is my. And then when Pam walks in the same the same thing playing out a second time although she gets it even worse i mean she gets thrown on a meat hook yeah well um w- just bring it to leatherface was he what you expected no well i mean number 1 he's not called leatherface because he has a leathery face <laughs> no no he wears human masks made of human flesh yeah uh, uh not what i expected 
uh, maybe chonkier than I expected, and he's a, uh, he's a big boy, clumsier. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I was picturing like taller, leaner, maybe a ponytail for some reason. Huh. But you know, once I saw Leatherface, I've seen that I've seen that clip before, and I've seen people dressed in like costumes do being Leatherface before, so it made sense as soon as I saw it. Mm. I was like, oh, right, that that's what this is. Yeah, the apron is very iconic. Yeah, and, uh, and also the suit at the end, too. Yeah. I like this scene that immediately follows uh, Kirk's death after he's been dragged away because we cut back to Pam, who's on the swing. She gets up and starts walking towards the house. And yes, it's a butt shot, but it also, the camera angle, it's this low angle behind her as she approaches the house. And the, I, I think there's something of the combination of having seen what we just saw happen to Kirk, and we know she doesn't know that yet as she walks towards it, and this low-angle tracking shot following her as she approaches the house, it's just, that this, you know, this house that on the outside looks perfectly ordinary, it it is now taken on such a sinister demeanor that she, and as she's walking towards it, in this shot, we as the audience, I just, I think it's such an effective shot that we just feel so like, oh my God, don't go in there. Stop walking. I just, I, I think it's a really wonderful little shot. I don't know. I wanted to call it out. Yeah, I like what happened immediately afterwards, which is, I know I just said she suffers the same fate, but prior to that, she sort of, she, what happens? She walks in, she gets horrified, and she runs into a room that is filled with skeleton bits. Or no, she hears a noise and she follows it, and it's a chicken in a cage mm. in a room that is covered in bones yeah. and has a lot of crazy serial killer trophy artifacts in it. And this is where, we, I mean, this is the part of the movie where we're about halfway through at this point, and this is where it's like, okay, build up over, the movie has really started now. And they've told us about this person exhuming corpses, so now we're like, okay, I guess it, in my mind I said, oh, I guess it wasn't the hitchhiker, that's just a foreboding character, it's it's this Leatherface creep in this house. And to your point, uh, Will, it is interesting that Leatherface doesn't necessarily seem to be, at this point in the movie, seeking them out. Mm-hmm. He's just in his home. And, Defending his property. And they're rolling in, uh, I'm not saying they're begging for it. But they, they, there is like he's not. I sort of always assumed that he would be stalking them in some capacity, a la Jason. But he's he's not. He's more like a spider at the center of a web. Yes, that's a good analogy. Um, but so so this I think is also the most disturbing scene or the most disturbing kill in the movie because Leatherface captures Pam, and this, as you mentioned, Josh, this is the meat hook. Uh, which I find incredibly disturbing. And I think this is a good moment to come back to the fact that you don't actually see very much gore in this scene. There's really no blood. He, You see the hook, he picks her up, and you see her face as she's mounted yeah. on the hook. And that's horrifying. I mean, like, I think it's actually more horrifying that you see her facial reactions to, like, the pain and shock and horror of what's happening. You see her, like, reaching up and, like, feeling the hook behind her mm-hmm. and her, like, realization of like what is happening like cross her face and then like you know you see you get the first shot of the chainsaw here the chainsaw enters the chainsaw massacre movie and he starts like chopping up her boyfriend in front of her and it cuts to a bucket underneath her and like the bucket is clearly for collecting blood as it comes out of her but you never see any of the blood this is a pretty bloodless scene yeah you know, all the gore is implied. And yeah. yet, it still has so much power, right? It is incredibly 
horrifying scene just yeah. because of that goddamn hook. Yeah, it's gross. Ugh, yeah. I don't know. I just... The meat hook really bothers me. Oh, yeah. As well it should. Uh, okay, so then we jump back to home base where our other heroes are wondering where the heck these two Jagoffs went. Uh, and, of course, they decide to split up because they're idiots. Yeah, let's go looking for them one at a time. <laughs> I mean, literally one at a time. Uh, well, that's that's got to do some, a little bit with Franklin's, um, you know, inability to go down the trail, or so we think. Um, so, and so uh, Sally hangs with them. Yeah. Well, Jerry goes on looking and um, talking to the directing. This is when we get a lot of really particularly beautiful cinematography. I think because a lot of these scenes now take place during Magic Hour. Yeah. As the sun setting, a lot of really nice shots of Texas as the sun sets during this part. Yeah, uh, movie offers a pretty decent sense of timeline. Uh, going from midday to evening to night. Yeah. So Jerry goes looking. Jerry breaks into the house himself. He goes down into the uh, the meat work room, and he hears something in the ice box, opens it up, and it's fucking Pam. Which, holy fuck, dude, that's horrible. And it's not a jump scare, but she's still alive. She yeah, no, she, she flings out she flings herself out out of the uh, ice of the cooler. Yeah, and then immediately Jerry gets brained with a sledgehammer. Yeah, Leatherface is back and he's like another one. I know <laughs> it's almost like pest control at this point. You almost feel him starting to get like annoyed. He's like, where do these kids keep coming from? Which again, this is like that's sort of I say it's to me there are elements that are sort of campy because this is definitely not what I expected up to this point. But uh, yeah, Jerry gets dispatched quickly, and then obviously we know what's going to happen. Pam and sorry, Sally and Franklin go looking for Jerry after a huge debate over what to do. Um, and she's correct. Sally's like, "We need to get the hell out of here, right?" Or she, or does she want to search for them? And he wants to get out of there. He, I think he wants to leave, but they don't have the car keys, right? So she's pushing him through the forest and. Leatherface leaps out of the woods and chainsaws Franklin to death. Josh, this seems like a jump stick gear that really got you because you let out a pretty loud Jesus Christ as he jumped out of the out of the woods. It wasn't so much that I was scared, but I thought the shot of Franklin getting it with the chainsaw and the brutality of that after everything he's already gone through was yeah, was was very intense. Poor Franklin. I'd also say uh this would not fall under castle doctrine because this is clearly outside of the home. Correct. So he chases her for a while. This is uh, another series of pretty good shots where she's running and he's behind her. And there's some very good shots that really sell his enormity compared to her. Like he just takes up the whole fucking frame behind her as he's running it's it's very scary. He just seems huge. And here the chainsaw serves the practical purpose of him cutting branches away. Yes, it's yeah, a very I appreciated that. Yeah, to yeah. continue his pursuit. Yeah. So she gets to the gas station of safety, or is it? Uh, yeah. So this is when I, for me, I up to this point was sort of underwhelmed. I thought it was a decent movie, but I wasn't too bowled over by any of the kills and. I didn't understand why sort of it had the reputation it did up until this point. But my assumption was this scene was going to play out as follows. The attendant says everything is fine, pulls the truck around, Leatherface kills him, the pursuit continues. But that's not what happens, Dave. 
No, it isn't. It turns out that motherfucker is in on it. Mm-hmm. He knocks her out uh, with a broom. <laughs> in a really, like, comically vicious broom attack. Yeah, they're, they're actually... Comically vicious is kind of a good word for him because he is... I mean, the other members of the family kind of get on him for not being a good killer, too. Yeah. He's sort of, like, inept but still sadistic. So he says he's got to pull the truck around to take her to the police, that they can't call the police. And uh, while he's doing that, she starts staring at the barbecue. And I think if we went back and re-watched it... I didn't pick up anything identifying a human body part, but I think that's supposed to be the tell to the viewer that this is not above board. Um, And then when he gets out of the truck, he has a sack and rope and is like, now just be play, play it cool and everything's going to be fine. She immediately knows what's up. Uh, She grabs a knife and tries to attack him. And then, yes, he grabs the infamous broom and just starts beating her with it and kind of like it's sort of like a. Like she's like a fly or something, like that. He's just swatting her with that. I mean, you want to go with the other end of the broom. <laughs> eventually, to he be does. Yeah, more so effective. Eventually, he bops her with the handle end, and she she passes out. And he ties her up and throws her in a sack and throws her in the truck. And then while he's in the truck, continues to thwap her with the broom handle. Like such a dick. This where I was like, okay, this movie is out of its goddamn mind, and I'm on board with it. <laughs> agreed there was no reason for him to continue just bopping her as they're driving it added nothing except for the just it's total total sadism it's like all right yeah yeah so now you know that he's at the very least sort of connected to leatherface but you don't kind of get the full story here until he arrives at their property and i was like oh it's the same fucking house yep and who else is at the house the hitchhiker Yep, and he's there with his guide to the galaxy and a towel, and he actually did try to steer them to the house earlier too. So yeah, he tried to get them to drop him off there. Yeah, yeah, Uh, they almost dodged a bullet. But um, you know, so we get uh, we get back to the house, and this is where like, see, the movie has this reputation for being gory and brutal, but it's actually this part at the house, this brutal fucked up ordeal she goes through dealing with this family at the house that i think really is what makes this movie so indelible oh yeah. we, we glossed over a pretty important horror cliche by the way was which is that she she when leatherface is chasing her she actually ends up in the house runs up to the attic finds two corpses what appear to be corpses and in order to escape leatherface jumps straight out a window yeah and falls a two from a two to the second story yeah then scrambles to the gas station and then it turns out she's just back uh it, where she was had just escaped from but the jump out of the window to escape a villain i think is a now quite the trope and i have to assume this is one of the first ones you get it in hereditary ah uh, yeah yeah so th- this whole ordeal in the house i think is what takes this movie from like pretty standard fare up to like genre classic sure just so fucking crazy um you, although Leatherface is now done up in a whole new way, he's wearing what I believe to be is Jerry's face now, uh, the Sally's boyfriend. I think you can tell from the hair, and I think he has the glasses on. Too. No, no, I think the wig is, I think he's supposed to be mom. I think he's dressed like... Well, yeah, so this is the thing about Leatherface, so he's wearing a dress, right? So that's the thing, mm-hmm. Ed Gain used to, part of his thing was that he exhumed corpses and made a skin suit out of them to pretend to be his dead mother. 
And this is why uh, Ed Gain has been cited as a source both for Psycho and for Silence of the Lambs as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but so this uh, gets into a whole thing with Leatherface, how he has all these weird identity and conceivably maybe gender issues going on. And he's also he's... talking in falsetto. Yeah, sometimes. Like in, in this scene when, you know, when the proprietor's yelling at him. Yeah, Leatherface has a lot going on up in that noggin of his and the hitchhiker is clearly the one who's been doing the corpse uh statues but because the proprietor is like you almost got us caught with that bullshit i told you to stop doing that getting reckless yeah so now we get the dinner with grandpa and it is a fucked up scene man so they're just like we gotta get they tie her to a chair and they're like we gotta get grandpa and i'm like oh yeah that's that's odd they're just gonna carry the corpse uh, and make her eat dinner with a corpse. Oh no, it's not a corpse. It's not a corpse at all. Although you kind of, uh, I guess, have to presume Grandma is. Uh, but they cut her finger open and put it in his mouth, and he starts sucking. Yeah, it's fucking gross. And again, a real cut. Uh, Will, did you enjoy this scene? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it as it was uh, fascinating. It 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 got a reaction out of me. I, you know, I'm not sure if I would, uh, you know, choose to watch it just any old day, just, you know, to getting ready for work or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so much to take, right? It's, it's a lot there. Fucking but... brutal. It does give you this nice sort of talk about world building in, in, so I guess the mythos is that their cannibalism allows them to live forever or something. Like, how is this guy? Like, he's no, I just don't, a leathery. I don't think it's like ravenous. I think it's just they're cannibals and he's old and decrepit and just hanging on. Okay. Interesting. Um, but, uh, I I do think that um, in the scene I, I mentioned how good she is at terror screaming. Um, I also think that there's some really good editing in this scene with all these like kind of fast jump cuts, like going to like her eyes moving. Mm-hmm. It's like the family laughing and just like really well edited and cut together. Yeah. So he, so she the grandpa starts sucking the blood out of her literally, and she passes out from all of it, and she wakes up. She comes to, and she is uh, still fucking there, still there. But now she has a plate of food in front of her, and the and the other three are and Grandpa's at the other head of the table. She's at one end, and the other three are around the table. And it's kind of unclear what their next move is. Yeah. She's screaming to be let go, and she's begging them to let her go. And I think she's trying to tell the dad to instruct the kids to let her go because he's they'll listen to him. And then he's like eventually like all right enough of this just fucking do it just kill her this is like getting to be annoying for me and they give him a little bit of shit about not being willing to do it himself yeah and they call him weak he says i'm not a killer by i just don't enjoy it he's like there's other parts of this process i do enjoy but i don't enjoy the killing i don't know i'm weird interesting family dynamics will you know in part one you mentioned how with horror you liked when it's a little more psychological this whole film is clearly much more on the visceral end of the spectrum but would you say that this whole last act qualifies as psychological i mean i think you have to say it qualifies as psychological it's a psychological nightmare yeah um and viscerally so as well but yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean it's very heavy-handed though it's very heavy-handed which is fine and they're not trying not to be i don't think i mean they're not trying to be subtle with texas chainsaw massacre nope but uh <laughs> just the family as we were you were just talking about the family dynamics that 
that go into it and you're just thinking about like you know what what are their what is this like like normally how often are they do they have this kind of slasher dinner where they murder a bunch of people What's their it home seems life? to be kind of routine and yeah when that's not going on you know you kind of the dad's hitting them with the broomstick and you kind of figure that's going on a lot kind and of you abusive, know just yeah, uh, yeah you know there's a lot of weird stuff happening there with the grandpa, of course, and there's no nurturing female figure in this family. I think that's really the issue. That's I, well, it's certainly part of the problem. It's not I, helping. I wonder if they were going to try and force her to be the mother of the family or something like that, because they did keep her alive. The other characters they they snuffed out almost immediately, but for some reason she got to live. They had her sitting at dinner with them, so I thought it might go in that direction, but it doesn't. It doesn't really. They just decide to kill her and mm. you know move on, but. Yeah. Well, so anyway, uh, they decide to give Grandpa a chance to be the one to kill her, but he's too weak. So after a few fumbling attempts at he hitting does her, nail her. He does clock her once. Yeah. And again, that was uh, I believe they were switching back and forth between a prop hammer and a real one, and she sustained a real clock to the head when Oof. he dropped a real hammer on her. So yeah, everybody got hurt making this movie. Uh, but so when uh, Nubbins gets up to try and do it himself, she manages to break free and jump out her second window of the day. Yes. Literally into the light. And she is absolutely just covered in blood yeah. at yeah. this point. But uh, dawn is breaking and she runs towards the highway. She makes it to the road. Uh, Nubbins has her, but thank goodness there's a truck coming because... Nubbins gets run over. <laughs> Thank you. Nubbins got run over by a tractor. He's fucking pancaked by that thing. Oh, yeah. This was interesting because there were a few moments in their chase to the road where I was like, he is in reaching distance, and this should probably not be continuing. It's just I think of... he was fucking around with her. Like, yeah. he was so overconfident. He's running back and forth a little bit. He's kind of playing around he's, with her, he's, yeah. He's playing with his food. I was kind of, yeah, I think he's playing with his food, exactly. Because the other interpretation is, you know, it was just a poor staging and the actor was doing that because otherwise he would catch up with her. But yeah. I think they were, I'll give the movie enough credit that it was intentional yeah. and, and, yeah. His, he was, you know, he's, the dad was getting on him for being overconfident already. Mm. His hubris was his undoing. It's a Greek tragedy. Hoisted yeah. by his own petard. Hey. <laughs> and so the trailer is like, oh my God, I just killed a man. The guy, the guy pulls over, but then she signals to it that something's going on. And this is one of the funnier, again, it, sort of, a, so, actually some, pretty hilarious. Somewhat comic sequences is, She's trying to get to the driver's side door to warn him. He steps out to see what's happened. Leatherface is chasing her. He sees Leatherface chasing her and runs back inside the truck and then pulls her in. Now, this is the one thing that really didn't ring true is then Leatherface is kind of trying to slash at the truck uh, door. He should just be able to plunge that chainsaw directly in. I mean, I'm not saying he would have killed the guy because they're sneaking out the other side, but he's like, He's like brazing it. I'm pretty sure the chainsaw could go through metal and pretty mm. handily. But mm. anyway, you know, yeah. maybe they weren't allowed to actually fuck up the door of the, the truck. Well, they get out the other side of the truck, start running down the road. The truck driver brains Leatherface with a wrench, which is pretty cool. Nice little payback. Yeah. He Leatherface sustains an injury to his leg too, which well, could he yeah. fall you're not you're he falls and he drops the chainsaw on himself. It's yeah. awesome. Fuck you, Cell dude. Phone. I know. And then a second car comes. Uh, the truck driver keeps running in one direction. A pickup truck pulls over and starts driving in the other direction with Sally in the back. And we get her in the back of this pickup. 
absolutely soaked in blood, covered head to toe in red, and just clearly, basically just lost to madness. She is laughing hysterically, and, you know, Sally is not home anymore in this moment. And then the last shot of the movie is this rather famous shot, which is sometimes called the Dance of Death, kind of in homage to the end of uh, The Seventh Seal, which is Leatherface uh, just his prey having gotten away, but for whatever reason, still feeling pretty exuberant, swinging his chainsaw around and dancing with it in the morning Texas sunlight. And then smash cut to black. That is the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, controversial thing. I thought the title, the opening scroll, told us that Sally was killed. And I'm I'm not sure whether that is what it actually said, but I felt a little bit not cheated. I liked the ending a lot. It was great that she got away. It was nice that someone survived that shit show. But I do feel like that's a bit uh, disingenuous of the opening scroll. I actually don't remember what the exact phrasing of the opening. It might have been... Do you, Will? I do not. No, I'm trying to remember. Um, It was something about... I don't think it mentioned specifically that everyone died. It mentioned that, you know, some young people... Yeah, that's sort of how I remember fate. it. I thought it said like the tragic slaughter of Sally, her a brother, and their three friends. But could be, you know, again, not. It was just one of those things where I was like, movie. If you're going to tell me a character is going to die and then they're not going to die, that's not really fair. I think, but you know, whatever. Otherwise, I I left pretty satisfied. Yeah. Um. So, before we completely dive into our judgments on the film uh i want to mention how it did so fun fact um getting the film distributed required some work uh they wound up cutting a deal with a company uh that was going to distribute it that had some ties to organized crime nice yeah that's from the zineman book credit where it's due um this movie had a budget of about sixty thousand dollars to start which in today's money is about 300k um they ran out of money at some point so needed more and so the ultimate budget wound up being something like uh ninety three thousand dollars which is uh four hundred and seventy two thousand dollars in today's money wow but it made over 30 million dollars at the box office it was the 12th highest grossing movie of 1974 and the highest grossing indie movie of all time until it was dethroned in 1978 by Halloween. Yeah. Um, However, almost everybody who worked on this film did not get paid. They instead mostly got points on the return, but because of some legal jujitsu related to like how the contracts worked out and everything, almost everyone except for Toby Hooper wound up getting screwed. And there's a lot of bitterness amongst the people who worked on the film about it. Um, So that's an interesting fun fact. And then lastly, uh, you know, because of the title and because of the reputation this had even before it came out, it was difficult for it to get out there and especially to get any critical love. So they did this kind of canny marketing strategy, which was... They um they sent it to the Museum of Modern Art to get it accepted as sort of like a, a significant art piece. And MoMA accepted it. 
So they were able to market it as this like legit piece of like high art that MoMA has considered this an actual piece of artwork. And then they were able to get it screened at con. And so it like raised its critical cachet to the point <laughs> where it changed its reputation a little bit. This must have really turned heads at the at the con film festival. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. So, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 88% from critics and 82 from audiences. A couple, just a couple quick uh, quotes from critics. So, on the positive side, Noel Murray for The Dissolve says, A disgusting, harrowing, oh, sorry. As disgusting, harrowing, and ugly as the 1974 horror classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, the film has moments of eerie beauty. Can agree with that. Sophie Morris, writing for The Independent, wrote, Chainsaw-wielding Leatherface remains one of the most disturbing characters in horror. Mm, he's up there, I guess. On the negative side, and this is a, a review that was contemporaneous with the actual release of the film, Stephen Cock from Harper's Magazine called the movie a vile piece of sick crap. Wow. Yeah. But the person who I like to quote the most is Roger Ebert. He didn't really like it, but couldn't help but acknowledge its power. What he said was, the movie is some kind of weird off-the-wall achievement. I can't imagine why anyone would want to make a movie like this, and yet it's well-made, well-acted, and all too effective. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre belongs in a select company, along with Night of the Living Dead and Last House on the Left, of films that are really a lot better than the genre requires. Not, however, that you'd necessarily enjoy seeing it. Mm. So. Yeah, that's a good, that's a fair take. I mean, and also very true of Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And so legacy-wise, I mean, it's hard to talk enough about the importance of this film i mean the guardian called this one of the most influential films ever made uh we talked about this will on the aliens episode but kind of apocryphally but ridley scott said that when he was making alien his goal was to make the texas chainsaw massacre in space <laughs> that was that was his stated goal um and this movie established a lot of the rules of the slasher genre even before halloween came out so you have the masked mostly mute killer the one with the signature weapon you have the you know kind of small cohesive group of teens to get slaughtered with a final girl who is the only one to get away and uh you know i'm sure there are other things that i'm missing but you know, it it sets up a lot of those rules. You know, one shot that kind of struck me that we that we didn't uh, talk about previously is uh, kind of early on in one of the first kills. I don't remember who he was killing at the time, but he's going through the doorway and he's hacking through the doorway with the chainsaw. And this is like yeah. ten years before Shining. Um, is it pre-Shining? Oh yeah, Shining's 1980, and this was like so. so this is you know the here's Johnny. Yes, is like, absolutely. You know, the here's Johnny. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's chasing uh, Sally. She runs in the house. She closes the door behind her, and that's yeah. when she meets the meets the grandparents. That's right. Uh yeah. No, that's true. It does does predate Shining. Yeah. 
Um, How so? T- Pops is pissed about the door. Oh, yes. He, he really lets them have it about it. <laughs> Look what you did to the door. Oh, God right. damn it. Now, Not so much the multiple homicides, but like, you know what plywood costs these days? Two stra- straight goofy observations. What do you think their relationship is to the guy who cleaned the car? I don't know, because he's not part of the family, right? I thought he was going to show up at some point, and I was a little disappointed he didn't play into the strange... Uh, yeah, well, maybe he was off family. doing a stand-up that night. Yeah, at a gig. Um, and uh, the other thing is, uh, like, they seem to be kind of hiding in plain sight. There's the guy at the graveyard. There's a lot of, like, local townies, like, kind of Texas hicks at the graveyard that they're visiting at the beginning of the movie one of whom is kind of a crazy ralph character who is like mumbling a a semi warning at them about how he's like i know things i know what happens around here things happen around here yeah so it suggests that like the community kind of knows that there's stay away from the old sawyer house you know yeah i think you're right yeah, there's a there's a vibe. There's definitely a creepy vibe. Yeah. Um, lastly, I just want to mention that uh, this film did spawn a franchise. There's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which was also directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation, which is noteworthy for starring Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. Oh, no fucking way. And then there's- That's my kind of horror movie. The 2003 remake, which is notable, I think, because this is the film that, like, established that production company Platinum Dunes that Michael Bay created. Um, This is the first movie they made, and Platinum Dunes makes all of those horror remakes. This was just the first one, and it it made a ton of money. It did gangbusters at the box office. So all of these horror remakes that we see afterwards, like Nightmare on Elm Street... Uh, Friday the 13th and like a whole bunch of lesser ones they're Halloween. all pla- yeah well it was Halloween Platinum Dunes though? oh no I don't know that I'm just saying it's another reboot because the thing about Platinum Dunes I actually think the 2003 remake did any of you guys see it no no nope. look it's not this um but it it's got a certain level of competence to it it's you know you can watch it on a weekend and it's not awful but the thing about all those, these Platinum Dunes films is that they all have this very samey look to them, this very kind of bluish tint and this kind of sheen of slick competence that in terms of the tech, it's not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's like too slick. But, you know, it, it was okay, I guess. And it, you know, did well enough that it basically built this production company and gave it the cachet to make tons more horror remakes. Was that a Rob Zombie? No. Uh, okay, I thought he directed it for some reason. No, he... Rob Zombie directed the Halloween remakes before the Danny McBride Halloween. Wait, there's multiple Halloween remakes? Or his, there, or there are his Halloween it... remakes, and then the Danny McBride Halloween is a sequel to the original Halloween. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, so that's canon. It's canon, but the the Rob Zombie ones are just straight remakes. Right. Um, but he his House of a Thousand Corpses is hugely uh, indebted to this. From this, right? Very, very, very much. Yes, yeah. like I said, sort of the you can feel the influence of this film all over the place to the point where, like, I basically am not going to bother talking to it anymore because I it would take up the next like five hours. I just you know I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. The only other thing I want to mention about the remake is there's one thing that it does do that's pretty brilliant. 
which is a piece of casting. Uh, the guy they get to play, the proprietor, the father of the family, they cast Arlie Ermy to play him. Nice. Really nice bit of casting, actually. In the remake? Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, so that's everything I've got for this film, which brings us sort of to the end, save, guys. What do we think of this fucking movie? Was it everything you thought it would be? Was it everything you hoped? Everything you feared? It exceeded my expectations in uh, just how well it was shot and the kind of the overall filmmaking. I didn't expect it to be kind of as as good as it was in, in some parts. Um, it was not what I expected as far as, you know, plot-wise. Um, but overall, I, I very much enjoyed watching it. Was it scary? I gotta say, I wasn't scared. Um, I think because I was hanging out with you guys during the day, but also maybe just because I, it was just... Mm, I think if I had seen it when it originally came out in a dark theater and kind of more invested and not having sort of like a, a, a distance from it that I felt like I, I kind of was approaching it with. Do you think maybe it'll stay with you? Like if you, you know, if it stays in your mind and you it like marinates in there, it might like wind up disturbing you more over time yeah is that no, possible? Like, I, I might yes and it creeps into my dreams and stuff like that and, it'll uh, certainly make me more afraid of rural texas yeah as if that took any doing i don't know if i'm scared in the way i was hoping to be i enjoyed it i was halfway through it was not on board and like i said once it hit the once it revealed that it was far from over and it explored its true absurd strange uh fourth and fifth acts i i would say i enjoyed it quite a bit but i was almost i was almost on the uh, i was really on the fence and there was a point where i was like i don't i don't get it but by the end yeah as a well i think as a whole it's clearly a masterpiece of modern art that deserves to be in a museum dedicated to modern art masterpieces well that's good to hear because it is actually Hanging at the Tate Modern! It did deliver, like I said earlier, and you can maybe edit this out if it's too repetitive, it did deliver the insanity I was looking for in a, in a good, like, gross-out horror movie. It was crazy, it was brutal, but also clownish. I mean, there's a lot of charming stuff about it. Charming in quotes. <laughs> well, alright, well then, guys, better late or never. Uh, better late, but I was on. I was about to call it a never before the turn. Hmm. Better late all the way. Um, I'd like to say one thing before we officially sign off. It did a few uh, Halloween's ago. I watched a movie called Society that was available on Amazon. That is a body horror movie uh, that very much like this is a slow burn. And I not to talk about movies that are influenced by it, but like Society has one of the craziest absurd wild last 10 minutes of any movie i've ever seen and up until that it's pretty goddamn boring and so you know i was like i mean i should have said earlier like i do enjoy that type of movie as well and i didn't expect this to be that so that was really nice right on well guys i'll start wrapping us up here if you'd like to email the podcast, please email us at betterlatethannevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevern
Guys, it's been a pleasure having you. And if you're not doing anything, I'd invite you to stay and have some barbecue with me. Sounds delicious. Yum, yum. Yeah, I just had this young couple by, and they volunteered to help me with some sausages that I'm about to cook up. Awesome. Awesome.